0: This is an Alexandrian Media original podcast. Hey there, I wanted to catch you at the top of the episode to let you know that my Patreon page is changing its name and URL. Rather than the page saying Stephen Trygar and the URL ending with Stephen J. Trigar, the page is fully transitioning over to The Composer Chronicles. All members of the Patreon page will continue to enjoy all the same benefits as before, including early access to ad-free versions of every episode, access to the Patreon podcast unscripted, and all other benefits one can find at higher levels. So, if you are listening to this episode and you hear me reference patreon.com slash Trigar, that is no longer a valid URL, as I have changed it over to patreon.com slash thecomposerchronicles. I hope you enjoy, and I hope to see you on my Patreon page. Today's bonus episode recounts actions of extreme violence. Listener discretion is advised. Please see the show notes for details. October 16th, 1590. The sun had long set on the Piazza San Domenico Maggiore. The night was thick and quiet. Only the ambiance that Mother Nature offers on cool October nights played on a loop. The moon cast an eerie glow over Naples, warning its citizens that tonight was a night where evil would soon claim another victim. And creep in the city's darkest shadows. Just outside a small apartment near the piazza, four black figures loomed over the apartment door, waiting, listening. The figure in front, one of a young man with a narrow face coming to a point at his chin, shook with rage. He thrust open the door with a deafening bang and shouted at the other three men, kill that scoundrel, along with this harlot. Shall I just waldo be made a cuckold?" Bone-chilling screams and blood-curdling wailing poured out into the Neapolitan streets for just a few moments before an unbearable silence stifled them. With the silence settling over the piazza, the young man reemerged from the blackness, his hands dripping with blood. He froze as if in terror, turning his face back in towards the horrors that he and his associates just committed. I do not yet believe they are dead, he murmured, before stepping back inside to ensure that he had finished his task. With the other men long gone, the young man with the slender face fled from the scene and disappeared into the night. After receiving several reports from concerned and terrified citizens, officials appeared at the apartment to investigate the previous evening's goings-on. Without yet opening the door, the stench of death radiated from inside. The officials stepped over the threshold, their eyes adjusting to the drastic plunge into darkness. Once adjusted, before them were two bodies so mutilated that it was a surprise that they could identify who they were. On the floor of the bedroom lay the body of Don Fabrizio Carafa, Duke of Andrea, wearing only a woman's nightdress with fringes at the bottom and ruffs of black silk. He lay in a pool of his own drying blood, pierced with an unruly amount of wounds all over his body, including two brutal gunshot wounds. The first had gone through his elbow and straight into his chest, leaving scorch marks from gunpowder on the sleeve of the nightdress. The second was to the head. Bits of the young man's brain were oozing out into his hair. Beneath him were several markings made by a sword that had sliced through the man's body and penetrated deeply into the floor below. The officials drew their attention to the bed where another body lay dead. This body was of Donna Maria Davalos. Her throat had been slit open cleanly, and drying blood drenched her nightshirt and bedsheets. Similar cuts were found on her face, right hand and arm, and over her torso. Curious eyes began peering into the apartment, wondering what demons had awoken them from their sleep. Amongst them were those who claimed to be eyewitnesses, stating that the murderer was undeniable. The slender-faced man that emerged from this apartment the night before and fled into the darkness was Don Carlos Gesualdo, Prince of Onosa, and the husband of Dona Maria Davalos. From Alexandrian Media, this is The Composer Chronicles, a podcast that delves into the stories of the world's greatest composers and their works. I'm Stephen Trygar, and this is episode number 21, Case Close, The Mad Life of Carlo Gesualdo. For someone with such a tragic end, it seems fitting to have an equally unfortunate beginning. The date and location in which Carlo Gesualdo de Venosa was born has been lost to history. Scholars believe that he was born on March 8, 1566 in Venosa, based on a letter that his mother, Geronima Barromeo, wrote that year. Ironically, Gesualdo's uncle was Carlo Barromeo. Who would later become St. Charles Borromeo, and his mother was the niece of Pope Pius IV. His family had acquired the Principality of Venosa in what is now known as the Italian province of Potenza in 1560. Little is known about the young Carlo Gesualdo. His mother died when he was only seven years old, and without hesitation, his uncle Cardinal Carlo Borromeo requested that the young boy be sent to Rome to begin an ecclesiastical career in order to continue the line of holy men in the family. The request was granted, and young Gesualdo was sent to Rome where his uncle Alfonso took him under his wing. Alfonso was the dean of the College of Cardinals at the time of Gesualdo's arrival, and he would eventually become an unsuccessful pretender to the papacy. Ultimately, Alfonso would settle into the position as Archbishop of Naples. Gesualdo's older brother Luigi was never presented with the same path. Luigi was in line to be the next Prince of Anassa, and while the younger Ricardo was in Rome learning the ropes of ecclesiastical life, Luigi was training to be the next leader of Anassa. After the untimely death of Luigi in 1584, Carlo became the designated successor to the princedom. He remained in the clergy for a few more years before abandoning ecclesiastical life to marry his first cousin, Dona Maria Davalos, daughter of Don Carlo Davalos, Prince of Montescarcio, and Dona Severina Gesualdo, Princess of Anosa. The pair lived normally for a period of time. They even had a son together, whom they named Emmanuel. Their seemingly stable life as a married couple was short-lived. Gesualdo's ever-growing devotion to music was stealing his attention away from his family, and it very may well have been the catalyst that soured his relationship with Maria. Needing her desires met, she began an affair with Fabrizio Carafa, the 3rd Duke of Andrea and the 7th Count of Rovo. Gesualdo, having caught wind of his wife's infidelity, had all the locks of his palace removed and put out of working order. He began spreading a fictitious notice that he would be leaving on a hunting trip and that he would be returning the following day, giving the lovers a false sense of security for a day. They never suspected a thing. Jesualda was known to go on these hunting trips regularly, and with a group of friends, all aware of the ruse, they rode out in the direction of Astruñi. Out of sight, they waited until nightfall to initiate their plot. And from there we know the rest of the lover's story. After madly killing his wife and her lover, and returning to ensure his success, Gesualdo fled to a nearby town on a hilltop, a town named Gesualdo, approximately 60 miles east of Naples. Eventually the law did catch up to him, however in the end the Gran Corte della Vecaria found Gesualdo had not committed any crime. As for his career in music, he had developed a strong musical relationship with Pomponio Nena, a fellow composer in Naples. Together they formed a group of several other Neapolitan composers, all eager to learn from one another. Only one piece by Gesualdo was published within this period of his life. But his almost unhealthy obsession with the art was just beginning to take root, possessing him and tugging at the strings of his fate like a lifeless marionette. This was only the beginning. What would a world without music be like? I certainly don't want to know. This podcast would not exist. Luckily, we don't have to find out what that world is like. I do a lot of listening in a day between all of my favorite music and podcasts, and it's not just for entertainment. I'm constantly doing research for this podcast and switching back and forth between apps to listen to a podcast episode and then a piece of music can get tiresome if I'm trying to quickly switch back and forth. From an episode of Hey Riddle Riddle to Stravinsky's The Firebird Ballet Suite and then to Lady Gaga's latest album, I can listen to them all on Amazon Music whenever and wherever I want. I start listening when I get into my car and then when I get home, I switch over to my Alexa while I cook dinner for me and my fiance. Listeners of this podcast can join me in listening to all of the best music and greatest podcasts on Amazon Music Unlimited right now when you sign up today at getamazonmusic.com slash thecomposerchronicles and get your first 30 days for free. You can get unlimited access to any song and do all of that listening without any ads. So again, go to getamazonmusic.com slash the Composer and start listening on Amazon Music Unlimited today. After the gruesome murders of Donna Maria d'Avalos and Don Fabrizio Carafa, Gesualdo's father passed away, leaving the princedom to his only surviving son. Don Carlo Gesualdo was now the third Prince of Anosa, and the eighth Count of Consa. He was now one of the most powerful and richest men in the Kingdom of Naples, and he could do whatever he wanted. Three years had passed since the death of his father, when Gesualdo was approached with the prospect of marrying Eleonora d'Este, a cousin of Alfonso d'Este II, the Duke of Ferrara, a tremendous patron of the arts, immortalized by Robert Browning in his poem, My Last Duchess. The Duke, attempting to settle a dispute with Cardinal Alfonso Gesualdo, Carlo Gesualdo's paternal uncle, arranged for his cousin to marry the Cardinal's nephew, undeterred by the recent murders as he was known to have indulged in similar activities himself. For Gesualdo, this arrangement was everything he could ever want. The Este Court Ferrara was one of the most musically progressive courts, and home to an elite circles of composers, musicians, poets, and painters such as Josquin Desprez, Battista Giorini, and Dosso Dossi. Gesualdo was especially interested in meeting Luzatsko Losgatsky, one of the most progressive and forward-looking composers in the genre of the magical, a form of composition that deeply fascinated the young composer. Ferrara became Gesualdo's home for the next few years. He traveled there for his wedding to Eleonora in 1594 and remained there for the next two years to soak up as much of their musical culture as he could. Every chance he had, he would share his compositions with the court musicians and composers. But he wasn't looking for criticism. He wanted them to marvel at his works. Before leaving Farada to return to his castle in Gesualdo, he published his first book of Magicals. He had been so enamored by the Farada court that he would stop at nothing to have the same for himself. The greatest singers and instrumentalists were hired with money being of no issue to the Prince of Anosa, The only difference? Gesualdo was the only composer, and the music was for him alone. No other person was permitted to listen to his music, and his music was even published in his own castle. His relationship with his new wife, Eleonora, was a disaster, but it wasn't as gruesome as his first. She often accused him of physical and emotional abuse, but she remained faithful, fearing for her life if she ever strayed. He often found sexual satisfaction elsewhere, but his hypocrisy had no consequences. The Este family attempted to obtain a divorce for Eleonora, but it failed. Through the years, she would spend more and more time away from him, staying with her brother in Modena. But Gesualdo was unbearingly possessive and unstable. He frequently wrote many letters to Modena, demanding that his wife return home immediately. The couple did have a son, but in 1600, the young boy died. Around this time, Gesualdo commissioned a large painting, an altarpiece known today as El Perdono de Gesualdo, or the Pardon of Gesualdo in English to adorn the Church of the Caspuchins at Gesualdo. Several of Gesualdo's family, including the son, sat below several saints and Jesus. Today we look at this painting with much skepticism, as it depicts several figures descending into hell, but Gesualdo wanted it done. A link to the painting is in the show notes. Gesualdo developed severe paranoia and depression. Shortly after murdering his first wife, he went on a tree-cutting rampage to allow view of potential threats from miles in all directions. While he was untouchable by the law, Geraldo feared that the families of the two lovers that he killed would take vengeance. Later in life, he had himself beaten every day by his servants, even keeping a special servant close by, whose duty it was to beat him on a moment's notice. After his uncle Carlo Borromeo passed and had been canonized, Gesualdo began a correspondence with Cardinal Federico Barromeo to obtain the skeletal remains in hopes that they would heal his mental disorder and absolve him of his crimes. The correspondence was fruitless, and Gesualdo was left to suffer in isolation. When his quest to obtain the relics of his dead uncle failed, he set Psalm 51 and titled it Miserere. Emise Rere is a psalm that seeks mercy from God, and Psalm 51 is the most popular text for these settings. Don Carlos Gesualdo, Prince of Anossa, died in isolation at his castle in Avellino. Three weeks prior, his first son, Emmanuel, from his first marriage to Donna Maria d'Avalos, died. This may have been the final straw that caused Gesualdo to pass as well. Today. Gesualdo's legacy is contained within the murder of his first wife and in his highly imaginative musical works. He is considered a musical genius of his time, bending the rules of harmony that remained unrivaled until the mid-19th century. His dark and mysterious life had fascinated composers for centuries, creating a cult-like following even after his death. Composers such as Peter Warlock, Igor Stravinsky, Peter Maxwell Davies, Alfred Schnika, Wolfgang Grimm, and Salvador Skerino have fallen under Gesualdo's spell laced in his innovative and mystifying musical works, tempting them to follow in his footsteps. While some have managed to break through his spell, others have not been so lucky. I hope that you enjoyed today's bonus Halloween episode. If you did enjoy today's episode, pop on over to Apple Podcasts or to iTunes and tell the world that they should listen to this podcast. Theme music was written by Daryl Banner and links to resources mentioned in the episode can be found in the show notes or on alexandriamedia.org. Find The Composer Chronicles on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter using the handle Podcast on all platforms to stay up to date on all the latest news. Also, The Composer Chronicles is on Patreon. Starting at $1.50 a month, members get ad-free episodes, early access to those ad-free episodes, access to the member-only podcast unscripted, and some other really cool stuff that you should definitely check out. Click on the link in the show notes or go to patreon.com slash to get access to this exclusive bonus content. Becoming a member helps me to continue bringing you this podcast every week, so thank you to the amazing people who are already members. Next week is the first episode of another mini series within the podcast called Gameplay. In this mini series, I'm going to be bringing on video game professionals, composers, and enthusiasts to chat about the music that we love in video games. I'm going to be bringing on my wonderful fiance Brian Edwards, and we're going to sit and we're going to chat about. The music of Final Fantasy X. So, join us next week for that episode. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next time. Alexandrian Media Art and Culture for the Modern Era.